Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Inside Health Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Keyes. As COVID-19 and the adjustment we make in our daily lives continues to be at the forefront of our minds, we forget how much the science and medical communities have really learned in the past six months about this virus. While the CDC has no specific antiviral treatment recommendations for COVID-19, they do, however, recommend supportive care to help relieve symptoms associated with the virus. So what does that look like for maybe patients in the hospital or for at home? Uh, we hope to answer those questions today with our very own ER medical director for CHI St. Joseph Health College Station Hospital, Dr. Bryant Pickett. Dr. Pickett is a board-certified emergency physician and fellow of American College of Emergency Physicians. He is also regional senior director of quality for the U.S. Acute Care Solutions. Dr. Pickett graduated from Texas A&M University in 2003 with a bachelor's in biomedical science with Spanish certificate. He received his master's of public health from the Texas A&M School of Rural Public Health 2000, in 2006 and his medical degree from TAMU College of Medicine in 2009. He did his emergency medicine residency at Baylor Southwest Temple in 2012. Dr. Pickett has been married 17 years to his wife, Betsy, and has five children, Caleb, Joshua, Hannah, Samuel, and Lydia. Dr. Pickett, thank you for being here and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm uh, honored to be able to speak with you and to the public about uh, COVID-19 and what we're learning and what we can do to help everybody out. Yeah. So, Dr. Pickett, my first question for you is, obviously the most important, and I have to get this one out of the way now. As we are getting closer to Halloween, uh, which is obviously the best holiday, will this virus ruin it for me? I mean, I can handle Cinco de Mayo, and even like my Irish heritage was okay with St. Patrick's Day, but don't take away Halloween from me. Well, I don't think that Halloween's going to be taken away. Right now, it seems like that's the perfect holiday because everybody's going to wear a mask anyways. And <laughs> you, can, you know, just make sure everybody's wearing the mask and stay... Uh, distanced and uh, still enjoy enjoy halloween I yeah we, we all have our costumes already yeah you already got everything and you know we're encouraging people to enjoy the outdoors and you know going door to door see your neighbors and just you know you, you could make some adjustments if you really feel that you need to and just have the bucket on the on the front porch or something with some candy in it there but uh definitely don't need to cancel uh okay halloween. All right. Well, before we get started, I, I've kind of broken down these questions into two sections. The first section is more about what the treatments look like for those with maybe the less serious symptoms, and that can be implemented maybe while they're at home. And then the second is what the hospital does for treating symptoms of patients that have been have maybe been admitted and, and how kind of all that looks. So are you ready to get started? Yeah, let's get started. All right. So the first question is two-part. What are the most common symptoms of COVID-19, and which symptoms most often need treatment? Sure. So there's there's a lot of different symptoms that are being associated with COVID-19. And like you mentioned earlier, we're still learning a lot about what the virus does to people. But uh, what we, we've seen so far is the, the majority of people will have uh, some kind of fever, body aches, and cough, kind of like you would think of with most viral syndromes. Uh, we are seeing a higher percentage of people have some uh, additional shortness of breath. And uh, a lot of people are having some nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea going along with it as well. But the most common symptoms, I would say probably uh, fever and cough. Okay. And, and what do the treatments look like for that? Yeah. So for most of the common symptoms, fever, you can just do over-the-counter Tylenol, Motrin to help out with uh, fever. And I usually tell people uh, to treat the fever if you're feeling really bad, if your kids are really fussy with fever, those are important things to, uh, to treat. A fever in itself is not necessarily a bad thing, uh, but it's a common thing we see with 
viral infections. And then for cough, uh, over-the-counter cough medications um, for vomiting and diarrhea, um, there's you know Imodium over-the-counter uh, for diarrhea. Making sure that you're staying well hydrated is, is key as well uh, throughout that. Actually helps out a little bit with uh, shortness of breath and coughing as well, but definitely if you're having diarrhea, uh, making sure you're staying, staying hydrated is important. So let's say I test positive and I decide to self-quarantine for like the recommended 14 days. What do I need right. to do or have on hand to help get through the COVID-19 diagnosis? You know, besides my PlayStation and like a phone charger. <laughs> sure, yeah. So there's there's not really a, a treatment that's been shown to cure COVID uh, at this time. And so it's really more what we call supportive care. That can vary from person to person what they think that they need. So PlayStation versus Xbox for sure. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, most people are saying, you know, making sure you're taking a, a daily multivitamin, Tylenol, Motrin for the fever, like we mentioned, over-the-counter medicines for cough or for diarrhea, uh, things to help you stay hydrated. I usually tell people that uh, things that your grandma would recommend to you, like chicken noodle soup, be able to rest and recuperate, get plenty of vitamins and, and staying well hydrated is important. And then some other things that, that that can help. We'll talk about how your oxygen level can drop if you're in the more serious cases. And so some people are purchasing a home pulse oxygen monitor, um, right. and that can be, it can be helpful. You don't have to do that. Not everybody can go out and buy one of those, but that could be something else that's, uh, that's helpful. Yeah, and they're fairly well. inex- inexpensive too, from what I understand. Yeah, I think my wife actually just got one for us uh, in case we get sick. And I think it was like 20 or 30 bucks on, yeah. on Amazon. So it's not too bad, especially if you're, you, if you've got an Xbox or PlayStation, you can probably <laughs> afford to get a Pulse Ox uh, monitor as well. So that could be helpful to figure out whether you need to go to the hospital or not. Uh, but I mean, just things to help take care of yourself. Make sure you got plenty of hand sanitizer or soap, to, especially if you're in a family and you're trying to keep other people um, from getting infected and mask. If you if you have to go out um, to the doctor's office or have to be out in public for some reason, which is not recommended if you have COVID, um, but then you would want to make sure you have a mask on for sure. Right. So this is actually, I guess, my own personal curiosity. What about mild exercise? Could this be something that could help with post-symptomatic recovery for someone who doesn't really have serious symptoms and they're staying at home? You know, something they could do like in their room or something like that, or is that not recommended? Yes, I don't know if there's really official recommendations on recovering with exercise, but I think it's probably a good idea. If you're able to continue to stay active and and up and moving around, I think that's that's good for you. It's going to recruit more parts of your lung to help them stay open and help uh, help make sure that you're you're getting plenty of oxygen. And if you're, I think that if you have some place where you can go outside uh, and you're not around other people, um, you know, not going out in public doesn't mean you can't go outside at all. It just right. means that stay in areas where you're not around other other people. That can be really good for you as well. Definitely good for your mental health to right. stay a little bit less isolated and get out and enjoy nature, but it's also vitamin D. to get up and moving around. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right, another two-part question. So how long should patients anticipate having to treat symptoms? And is there like a peak or valley, so to speak, for the virus to run its course? Yeah. So... The majority of people will be done with symptoms by 14 days, uh, and that's why that's one of the reasons that they say 14-day type quarantine. We see the days five through 10 of symptoms, or where, where people tend to have the worst symptoms and tend to get hospitalized the most. 
And so we kind of have our radar up for those, those people in that time frame. You know, some people though have really mild symptoms and only for a couple of days and then they feel better. And then there's some people that we're hearing about who have symptoms for a really long time, for, you know, even a month or so. And so it's hard to, to really nail that down yet. Uh, but I would say generally by 14 days, most people are over it in days five through 10 are where if you're going to have really serious symptoms, that's usually when it happens. Got it. Okay. Uh, so most people don't need hospitalization and can stay home while following the subsequent recommendations. And I was hoping that maybe you can expand on each of them for me. The first one is stay home ex- except to get medical care. So what kind of medical care would warrant leaving the house while infected with COVID-19? Yeah. So if you can, I would definitely encourage people to use video conferencing, telemedicine type of capabilities to be able to speak with their own physician or healthcare provider. And that obviously completely eliminates any chance of transmitting the virus to somebody else. And then you can get uh, good advice each time. But when we say to seek medical care, if things are getting worse, uh, the things I'm talking that I would recommend is if you're so dehydrated that you're feeling lightheaded, like you're about to pass out, if you are having a hard time breathing, and if you're having anything else that you would generally consider as an emergency, if you heart attack, having heart attack or right. uh, stroke symptoms, things right. like that. We don't want people staying away from the hospital when they're having actual emergencies. Right. Because we have seen, unfortunately, some patients who delay medical care because they're scared of COVID, of, of getting COVID, but uh, also patients who have COVID. If you're having some kind of emergency, we want to see you and, and treat you, take care of you. Definitely. So, okay, the next one is, if your symptoms get worse, call your healthcare provider immediately. Why call rather than just go to the ER? Yeah, sure. So calling will help you in a couple of ways. Uh, you'll probably get faster um, recommendations by calling than by coming to the uh, emergency department. Sometimes in the emergency department, we're really fast and able to see you. And sometimes there's a lot of people in the waiting room. We can't really predict that all the time. So you can get faster recommendations by calling uh, most of the time. And also there's no chance of uh, infecting anybody else. Or if you still, if you haven't been diagnosed yet of, of getting infected with, with COVID. So those would be the two main reasons to to call ahead of time and they can give you good advice. You know, you can take the general recommendations that I'm saying, but they could tailor their recommendations to specifically what you have going on. And this is kind of a little bit of a follow-up question to that. And I think you kind of touched on it already, but at what point do the severity of the symptoms require emergent care? I know you kind of talked about breathing, but is there, is there anything that really people should be kind of monitoring uh, if they have COVID-19 and they're at home, what are the ones that are the big, the big symptoms they should be watching out for? Well, the main things that we're having to do in the emergency department to help treat people to get them through COVID-19 is to um, rehydrate them uh, or to provide oxygen and, and supportive care for breathing. And so if you're having a really hard time breathing or that's gotten significantly worse for you, or if you have one of those pulse ox machines that right. we talked about earlier and you've dropped down into the into the 80% range, so 80 to 89%, those are concerning for us and we would want you to come in to get evaluated. If that stuff's going on, then we'll need to, to provide oxygen, breathing support. There's there's a lot of different types of modalities to help you with breathing. And, and if you're dehydrated, then we would need to give you some IV fluids as well. Right. 
Um, so, okay, the next one is kind of what you're saying is get rest and stay hydrated. You know, take over-the-counter medicines such as acetaminophen to help get better. How can these things, how can these recommendations uh, help relieve the symptoms? Yeah, so like, like we mentioned earlier with, with fever, a lot of times you'll feel really bad. The fever tends to make your body worse. You just generally feel bad. And so a lot of people want to treat that. And so Tylenol or acetaminophen can reset your body's uh, temperature to a lower point so that you you feel better <clears throat> it doesn't necessarily help you recover faster or slower but you just will feel better throughout the throughout the time and then uh, staying hydrated your body needs to have a certain amount of fluids and, and vitamins to all your different organs to uh, help you to recover and so um, staying hydrated will help keep your blood pressure high enough to provide all the organs the support they need yeah it you know, um, I work a lot with my health and wellness clients. I'll coach them with stuff. And sometimes they'll ask, why, what, what's up with hydration? Why do I got to do that? And I always kind of to, to liken it with, it's like the oil in your car. You know, the water yeah. is like a lubricant for your body and it just makes everything run. Um, you know, I'm sure there's a long winded scientific explanation to it, but, um, and I'm sure you could probably get into it, but, um, no, most people kind of just want to know. And I always liken it to that. And it it seems to kind of click for people. It's like, Oh, that makes sense. It's like, everything just makes it, makes it go. So, um, like your oil pressure as well. If it's it's too low, you're not going to get oil or blood to where it needs to go. Yeah. We are a, a well-made machine, so <laughs> maybe this one doesn't need an expansion, but certainly a reiteration, if you don't mind, as uh, I'm sure this hits home for you and your ER staff, and that is if you have a medical appointment or you're deciding to go to the ER, notify your healthcare provider ahead of time uh, that you have COVID-19. Can you, can you kind of go into a little bit why that's important for, I mean, especially the ER staff too? Yeah, sure. So we take uh, standard precautions for every single patient that we see to try to protect both the patient and the the medical staff, the physicians, the nurses, the techs, everybody uh, from the you know secretary all the way um, back into the emergency department. And so we'll all be wearing masks and eye protection, no matter who you are. However, if we know that you have COVID nineteen, and especially if you're having certain symptoms, we uh, we might put you in a room where there's negative pressure or there's isolation. Um, we might take extra precautions with a N95 type mask or, or, or different types of respirators, depending on the, sit, the different location that you're at. And so it helps us out tremendously to know that. And we are still going to provide excellent and compassionate care, right. regardless of what virus or diagnosis you have. And so uh, it helps us out and we'll still provide the excellent care. So we would yeah. love to have that information. Yeah, I can see how that would be critical for for everyone involved. So, okay, so the last one is stay in a specific room away from other people in your home. If possible, use a separate bathroom. If you must be around others, wear a face mask. You know, why such a strict in-house isolation? Why is that so important? Well, if you're, I mean, if you live by yourself, it doesn't matter. But if you live with some other people, then and they don't have COVID nineteen, then you want to help to prevent them from getting it. And so. And hand hygiene um, and making sure they're staying by themselves, uh, not sharing drinks, not uh, coughing on each other. Those things are how the virus is spread. And so if you can isolate the person who has COVID-19 as much as possible, then you're less likely to pass on to other other people. Yeah. And I think the other thing that when I was kind of hearing this question that I was thinking about is um, obviously 
I'm, even if I were gonna if I were gonna be positive for it, I'm gonna stay home and I'm hopefully gonna stay in a room that uh, and and have my own bathroom like this recommendation is stating. But if I come out and I'm around my family, my wife still needs to go to the store to get groceries. And so then now she's going to be going to the store. And and if she's asymptomatic, she might be spreading it there. So that was one of the things I was thinking is, is not only is it important from spreading it to the people you got there, but uh, at your house and your family, but then they also still need to go about their lives. So uh, that's kind of one of the things I was thinking. So I have one last question for this first section. And that is, what advice do you have for people who are diagnosed with COVID-19 and appear to have mild or no symptoms? So the vast majority of people are going to fall into this category, uh, it seems, from everything that we've been seeing, especially recently. And this is a a virus that's very serious and can cause a lot of other uh, problems, but the majority of people are going to recover well and uh, they're going to be able to do fine. And so do your best to protect other people uh, by wearing a mask or by isolating yourself. Make sure you take good care of yourself as well by staying hydrated and exercises if you can, you know, just do regular supportive care type of stuff like we've talked about and be encouraged that most people are going to do fine with this. And then if you do continue to monitor your symptoms and if you start to have anything concerning, either call your provider or come and get checked out. Yeah. Well, let's enter into part two. Uh, This is more for about the people who maybe are hospitalized or how maybe you're treating them there at the hospital. So so we talked about how most people don't need to be hospitalized, but roughly what percent of patients who end up positive with COVID-19 need to be hospitalized? That number for me is a little bit hard to to say definitively because there's lots of people who have symptoms who might not get tested and some of the tests early on uh, are not as specific, but so this is not going to be a really uh, hard and fast uh, number, but I think probably uh, about 80% of people won't need to even go to the ER or anything. They'll just be able to take care of themselves at home. And then of those 20% that uh, do need to get seen, say probably 10 to 15% of them need to be hospitalized. Uh, a lot of times I just need to checked out and say, yeah, these look okay. Maybe we need to change a couple things. And then of the people who get hospitalized, so that's a very small portion of the people so far, but of right. those people, uh, probably another 20% need to go to the ICU for some more intense supportive care. Right. Uh, so I think about 20% of each uh, section, um, 20% need to get checked out. Of those people, 20% need to be hospitalized. Right. Of the hospitalized people, about 20% need to go to the ICU. Yeah, the numbers diminish as you go on. <clears throat> okay. So what types of treatments are being used for the patients who are admitted to the hospital? Yeah, so there's a few different things that, uh, that we're doing right now. And like I mentioned earlier, there's nothing that's 100% definitive that is is helping things get better quickly, but there's a lot of different things that we are trying and seem to be helping out. <clears throat> so a lot of people do need uh, IV fluids for hydration, and that definitely helps out whenever someone's dehydrated. If your oxygen level is low, uh, and this is one of the main reasons we need to hospitalize people, uh, they need to get oxygen uh, therapy. And so that can be either through a nasal cannula, which is like a little tube that comes into your nose and provides some oxygen. There's some ways to 
kind of ramp that up with something called high flow nasal cannula uh, to get additional oxygen and support. You can also do something called CPAP or BiPAP. Some people with sleep apnea might know about CPAP. Yeah. yeah. Um, and BiPAP is, is just a way that helps to breathe in and out. And then kind of our most intense way of uh, treating decreased breathing or breathing problems is to put somebody on a ventilator to intubate them and put them on a ventilator um, to uh, support their, their breathing. So those are the kind of the two mainstays, the breathing and then the hydration that we know do help out uh, and that you have to be hospitalized for most of the time. And then there's some other treatments that are more experimental that uh, seem to be coming more to fruition. Um, in the past few weeks, there's been a lot of push for a steroid medicine called Decadron uh, later, in, later on during the illness, days five through 10, uh, like we mentioned where there's uh, uh, problems. Um, or more often there are problems. And then there's also some antivirals that we're experimenting with. One, the most, I guess, famous one right now is uh, remdesivir that uh, uh, we're using in our hospitals to try to help out. There's also some experiments at various places with uh, convalescent patient plasma therapy, where we take the blood and specifically the plasma from someone who's previously had COVID-19, but is recovered, and they have antibodies there against the virus, and we can give it to another patient. And there's been some uh, exciting recoveries there, but still in a phase where we can't scientifically say it's definitely the right thing to do for every patient. Yeah. And you uh, must have been reading all of my questions because those were my next questions, <laughs> which was perfect, though. Uh, and, and I guess my follow-up to that is, I mean, obviously it's really early, but what does the efficacy look like for those? Yeah, so it is kind of early as far as what I've seen in, in scientific studies. And they're encouraging still because and that's why we're still using them as compared to some other treatments we tried early on that didn't pan out quite as well that have kind of fallen out of favor, like the uh, hydroxychloroquine um, mm -hmm. seemed to be a, a great answer. And then now it seems like it's probably not, but even scientifically can't say that 100%. Right. So the remdesivir and the plasma therapy uh, both appear to be uh, helping people, but not to the point where we can definitely say this is a treatment for everybody. Right. So I can't give you a great number of how, how effective it is, right. um, but uh, it seems to be helping. Well, it's good. At least there's some encouragement there from, from those two treatments. So, um, you know, hopefully they, they pan out or as we continue to wait for a vaccine. And that kind of leads me to my next question is, is what about a vaccine? I, I've heard this, this virus might fizzle out like SARS did in 2003. Does, does that look likely or do you think that mass vaccination is, is the more likely step here? So I think mass vaccination is probably the next likely step. The, the vaccine trials have been progressing very quickly and there's uh, a few that have been uh, encouraging and moving through the uh, FDA trials to, to get to market uh, pretty quickly. And I think that's probably the, the best hope for us to get this under control quickly. Um, there's also some work on something called monoclonal antibodies, where you can basically produce the antibodies that your body would usually uh, need to fight against the virus. And if we had that specifically, you could treat people who are really sick with it as well, kind of like a very specific plasma therapy right. uh, by, by treating and, and fighting the virus. And don't have data on that, but I've heard that that's in the works as well. Right, sure, so I think sure. those two are most likely to uh, be what uh, helps out the most. It seems like 
this virus has uh, lasted for, it seems like a long time, although it's just been a, a few months really, but uh, I would anticipate that without those type of treatments that this would continue to go on for a while and not just uh, uh, fizzle out. Although we haven't seen a lot of mutations within the virus yet, that's something that happens all the time with like flu, the influenza virus and other viruses. And so that could also uh, happen and, and have different kind of peaks and valleys uh, over the years. Right. Well, I always like to finish the episode the way that we started with a little bit of fun. And so I'm going to stick with the Halloween theme. So did you dress up last year? And if so, what was your costume? I did not dress up last year. I dressed up all my kids. So I've got five kids, like I mentioned yeah. earlier. And uh, Can you remember uh, all of them? I don't know. No. Oh. <laughs> uh, my, uh, my wife's going to kill me. But uh, So they've had lots of uh, good things throughout the year. I'm trying to thank my oldest um, gets into it. And he was a Minecraft spider. Okay. Um, one of the cave spiders, I sure. think. I don't really know much about Minecraft. But, um, it's like a black and red spider. And... Um, uh, I'm blanking on what all my other kids were. My we go over to my father-in-law's house. He lives in College Station with us, and he usually dresses up as dress as a uh, Darth Vader. Oh, perfect! Uh, and so, yeah, and so he answers the door that way, and <laughs> light has lightsaber fights with my kids. And, stuff, and I would be so. willing to bet, in typical dad fashion, uh, you said it was your father-in-law, so he probably answers the door for your wife, saying, "I am your father." He, yes, he would love to. He does do that. <laughs> I have well, a I have a shirt actually with a Darth Vader shirt for myself that says, uh, "Yes, I am their father." From for my five kids, my five kids are adopted as well, and so they don't all look like me. But so when I'm walking around with them, this shirt and says, "Yes, yes. I am their father." <laughs> That's great. So, well, thank you so much, Doctor Pickett, for taking the time to do this today, and I hope we answered a lot of questions that people may have about the treatment options for COVID nineteen. But you know, before we go, is there anything else you'd like to say? Oh yeah, so. Um, I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but the vast majority of people are going to, uh, when they get this virus, they're going to recover well and uh, lead productive lives afterwards. And so there's a lot of fear and anxiety, but uh, I definitely want to encourage people that most everybody's going to recover well. And if you're, if you're having a hard time or you're struggling, we're here to, uh, to help take care of you. And it's our, our pleasure to provide that compassion and excellent service whenever you show up to the emergency department. So please don't be worried about coming in to see us. We're here to take care of you. Nice. Well, thank you again. And thank you listeners for tuning in. Stay tuned for more episodes and uh, don't forget to hit subscribe so you never miss another one. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.